This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride, and today I'm joined by Dave Prentice, Adam Jones and Gav Buckland as we chew the fat over all the major talking points at Goodison Park. And as always, there are plenty to get our teeth stuck into today, of course. The big news of the week, the... Uh, Injury to Luca Dean, he's out for two to three months, Carlo said uh, this afternoon. We initially thought it could be around two, but Carlo has rather ominously said it could even be three. Uh, the big news off the field, of course, is the return of fans. Of course, Everton's first game in that respect will be Chelsea later in the month. We'll, we'll talk to the lads about that. Um, Carlo also addressing the future of Marcel Brands at the press conference. Plus, we'll, of course, look ahead to the 5.30 kickoff at Goodison tomorrow against Leeds United. Um, Preno, look, you know, look, it's obviously a huge blow to be to be missing Luca Dean for two to three months. I mean, put into words how much of a miss he will be. Difficult to do that because it's absolutely devastating, uh, largely because he's the one player that you tend to think of as being as close to indestructible uh, as you have. I mean, his appearance record is absolutely magnificent. Uh, when the manager does make occasional tweaks and rotates his squad, he's the one player that generally escapes that. Um, I know he sat one out earlier this season in the Carabao Cup, but that was the exception which proved the rule uh, because generally he is so consistent fitness-wise as well as quality-wise. He makes things happen. I mean, he's not just a, a, a left-back. He's a left-back who has the the greatest number of assists um, in the squad. I think he's one of the greatest number of assists in the Premier League. I think there's only the other two over at Anfield who can actually top him in that respect. So it's going to be a very, very, very difficult uh, obstacle to overcome. I mean, not helped by the fact that we don't really have a like-for-like replacement either. Um, I mean, Nkonku has looked okay in the uh, the Carabao Cup games, uh, but the one occasion we saw him in... Um, in league action, it looked like he's still a little bit, you know, so way off that level just yet. So we really haven't got a like-for-like replacement. So it's it's a double blow. I mean, we're losing a fella of immense quality. And equally, we haven't really got a like-for-like replacement that can step in. So, yeah, it's difficult to actually, you know, so put into words just a massive, massive blow. And it's going to be a struggle to overcome it. Adam, look, look, you know, it, it's not. I don't obviously want to go over the top, and it's not like Dean is out for out for the season. It's going to be three months, and obviously missing a lot of games. But I just think it's obviously always worth reflecting in these in these moments. In terms of where where does Luca Dean stand for you? In terms of most value or, or best signings we've made in this sort of current era, sort of summer twenty eighteen up to the present day. He's right up there with Richardson, really, isn't he? I think he, he, he's got to be considered right up there because, you know, as Preno rightly says, he's not just an influential player defensively for us. He's such an influence going forward as well. How many moves have we seen over the last few years that have not only started from Dean, but he's played a vital part in, you know, with his with his delivery from the left-hand side. And we're going to be missing that over the next over the next few months. And I think the one that stuck out to me as soon as I heard that he was injured, it stuck out to me that he'll be missing that quarter-final against Manchester United <laughs> in the League Cup. That was the, that was the first fixture that popped into my head. I was like, oh, right, OK. Instantly, we're, we're in a quarter-final and suddenly we lose one of our best players. It's just... Uh, you, you, couldn't, you couldn't script how uh, unlucky that is, to be honest. But, like, yeah, as you rightly say, he's not going to be missing for the whole season, but this is the most hectic part of the season. We've got so many games crammed right next to each other. 
we do have Niels on Kunku who can step into that role, but can he play through throughout this whole festive period and you know December into January? I don't think he'll be able to play every single game. So we're going to have to find some other sort of solutions. You know, Carlo Ancelotti was mentioning the possibility of Alex Awobi playing at left wing back, which is I think it's an interesting concept. Obviously, we've got Fabian Delph, who's played there for Man City as well in the past. So yeah, it, it, we've got options there to replace Luca Dean. But yeah, as you rightly say, you know, in terms of how important he's been over the last few years, I think he's got to be considered right up there with Richarlison in terms of his influence because you know, the amount of assists that he's provided over the last few years has just been just been amazing. He provided two in the last game, of course, <laughs> as well with two really good crosses into the box. So, yeah, we're definitely going to be missing that massively over the next couple of months. Adam has, has, has talked through potential options and Carlo at the press conference, understandably, as a manager would in the situation, said, yes, we've got options. But in reality, does the manager have options or are the players that we know have played left-back or can do a job in inverted commas, um, are they are they capable of, of helping us fill the void, helping us cope in these next two to three months? Um, I tell you what, this is depressing, this, isn't it? Uh, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think I'm just trying to think of an answer that that's, that's positive. I think it's a, it's a real blow, and it sort of shows up some of the weaknesses in the squad. For the start, the absences of left left footed players, particularly defensively. You know, we, we, we said in the past that one of the benefits of having a senior, we were talking about Lescott, we and in a Lescott-type figure at the back who could fill in at both left-back and a central defence. Um, and it's shown up that uh, weakness. It's just shown up like the general weakness of left-footed players, you know, absence of left-footed players. I mean, it will be, and I, there was an interesting comment by Carlo, but it will be right-footed going forward might be okay, but Right-footed defensively, different different kettle of fish, isn't it? The yeah. he's on the other other side on uh, on 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 Sunday. So for me, I can only think of the, the obvious one is in, in Cuckoo, isn't it? Really, but as Penner rightly says, he, he's somebody who is like not proven at this level, so it's it's not ideal. I also think as well as um, the Charleston looks far more comfortable, doesn't he, with being playing left back as well. Um, I think that that also comes into it, you know. Um, and our options are limited, aren't they? And it's, it's amazing. But funny enough, I was, I was thinking about him earlier on the weekend. I'm sorry I did now, but like comparing him to Baines in my old mind, you know. And I, I prefer him to Baines as a left back because I think he's a far more solid player across the pitch, both defensively and in the opposition players, you know, than, than like, no, I, was, I, I always felt our defensive weaknesses. Um, and I was thinking, I was thinking that you know that we haven't really got anybody to replace him, and, and it's come to pass, hasn't it? The other thing as well is he captained the team, didn't he, on Sunday? Yes. So it also, I mean, he does. It does seem to me to be one of the more natural leaders and vocal presences, vocal presence in in the squad. So it also leads it leaves a sort of leadership vacuum. Mm. Well, not not just a playing vacuum for us, which. Considering our lack of leaders has been commented on, is also a cause for concern. Well, if the situation wasn't depressing enough, then Gav has just compounded the misery because not only have we, do- we lost one of the most talented players, we lost a leader as well. I hadn't really considered that. But um, Gav, look, Unkanku would look 
like the most natural replacement. And and I, and I take absolutely, and I'm sure everybody listening to listening to this would totally take what you said earlier um, on board. And he's young, you know, he's inexperienced. But is this not not an opportunity to fast track his experience? Yes, I'm sure he'll make mistakes because he's a young player. But you learn from your mistakes. Is is this just got to be? the baptism of fire, so to speak, that actually he will come out of the other side a hell of a better player and much sooner for it? Or can we not gamble? Or well, I think that... Preno, mate, sorry, Gav. Yeah, was... yeah, yeah, yeah. Dave, do you want to like, what I think of an answer? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you one that young lads are like, you know, so learn on his feet, basically. Yeah, um, yeah. No, to be honest, uh, I've been mulling over this for the last uh, the last day or so. And uh, for me, I think Fabian Delph has to play there. Uh, I think, you know, so given the experience, given the fact that um, he's being trusted in that position by Prep Guardiola so many times, and I know that can be perceived as a more conservative option, you know, uh, and Conker is clearly a, a dashing, buccaneering, you know, sort of attacking source. But Leeds is a tough old, you know, fixture, and you can't be taking too many chances. And just to increase the depression quotient, I mean, Seamus Coleman missed on the other flank as well. Uh, you know, you're talking to two absolute, you know, sort of star, you know, sort of fullbacks, star players who are so difficult to replace, both taken out at the same time. The only thing that could possibly compound it is if Buddy Richarlison trips over on the way into the ground and, and was suddenly taken out of it. Um, so, no, I think you can't, you know, sort of take too many chances. I think you've got to try and be as... Um, as circumspect as possible. And I'd, I'd go for experience in this one. Uh, I totally get why there'd be a clamour for Nkunku and why uh, you know people would want to see him. You know, he's an exciting breath of fresh air. Uh, but I think that's just a gamble too far. Uh, I'd rather go for the, the the more pragmatic approach. But you know, that, that's me being an old fogey. I am. Yeah, look, friend, I'm 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 a big fan of Delph, and I know yeah. you know many people listening to this will, will certainly have their doubts because it's not been a particularly great start to his Everton career. But I do believe. He's an excellent player, but can we, Preno, with the best will in the world, rely on him to be the... De- <laughs> no, purely because of his fitness record. Look, you know, Fabian would have to admit that his injury record has not been great since he joined the football club. Can we re- rely on him to, to fill the months? We may have to. I mean, um, it's not so much a question of a few months, but just certainly for this weekend, uh, this okay. game on, you know, so Saturday night, and then just, you know, so see how things go from there. I mean, it's uh, in that rare, you know, luxury of having a full week to prepare for the next game uh, before it suddenly starts getting, you know, sort of absolutely silly, you know, so throughout the month of December. Uh, we're going to need options and Nkunku will undoubtedly, you know, sort of get his opportunities during that period. And it's going to be a baptism of fire looking at some of the fixtures that are coming up in that one. Uh, but, you know, certainly for the time being, I think just, you know, he'd be in the squad, certainly. Hopefully there'll be an opportunity to bring him on for 20 minutes, 25 minutes towards the end. Um, but you know, I'm just going to go for the uh, the old sensible. You know, let, let's let's keep it keep it stayed option. And I can see from some of the faces in there that people disagree. But pile in. <laughs> that's what the uh, that's what the nature of this is all about. <laughs> Adam, I'll, I'll come to you first before we come to Gav. I mean, I get your thoughts on Unkanku as a as a sort of short term, short to medium term sort of re- replacement for D. But I want to get your thoughts on you know, Gav was speaking about a lack of left footed players. Jared Branthwaite could he could he do a job at left back? That's a, that's what I was. That's what came to my mind when Gab was especially talking about that Lescott sort of figure you could fill in at centre back and left back. You know, I remember seeing Jared Branthwaite. I think the first time I saw Jared Branthwaite play for the under twenty three shortly after he joined, he played as a left back 
it was a bit of a it was a bit of a struggle for him in that in that game. I seem to remember Everton getting getting a bit uh, battered by Swansea at Finch Farm in a behind closed doors game, but uh, he he still looked he still looked fairly comfortable in that role to me. And uh, you know, obviously, it's very different stepping into a Premier League game. I'd maybe consider him as one of the uh, one of the three centre backs if we were to keep this three at the back. Could he play on the left of the three? Would that would that be of any use? I think I think that might that might work out a little bit better. But in, in, in terms of what Preno's just said, I think I, I genuinely couldn't disagree more with with what what Preno's just said. Uh, I'd I'd play the the left back that we've got at left back. I think that's much more that's, that 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 just makes logical sense to me. We've only got one left back left in the squad now, so why not just play him play him, play him at left back? I mean, as much as I like Fabian Delph. Uh, personally, I think he's maybe been a little bit hard done by by some of his appearances. I think he's he's done all right, especially this season. Most of the time he's played, I think he's done done pretty well. You know that Newcastle game aside, where I think everybody was pretty poor. But I think other than that, he, whenever he stepped up, he's done quite well. But I think he he certainly seems to me as somebody more more suited to being in that central midfield and perhaps you know from that position covering back if Unkunku was to. Was to break forward. I think it just changes the whole dynamic of the squad. If we were to, if we were to play Delph there in place of Dean rather than Kunku, then we, in my head, then we completely negate uh, our left back bombing forwards because you can't see Fabian Delph bombing forwards and you know going on the overlap with Richarlison or anything like that as Luca Dean would. Whereas we've obviously seen Kunku, he might not have the same qualities as Dean in the final third, but he's Absolutely, getting getting forward. He's taking players on. He can get a great ball into the box. He's good at getting his head up uh, in the final third. So I just I just think he suits Dean's attributes a little bit better than Delph because otherwise mm. I, I do just think we are changing. We're changing the whole dynamic of the squad. We've got to we've got to find somebody else who's going to be. We've got to find another way to play, or almost to to get us up the pitch. Whereas I think Unkunku could probably step into that role. A little bit better for me. Mm. I suppose, uh, Governor, give you the final word on the left back situation. But I suppose, in theory, in theory at least, Nkanku has been bought to be the heir to Dean's throne, ultimately long term, hasn't he? He summed up in the air. He summed up the problem there in your last last words of those sentence, Phil. And in the long term, yeah. You know, this is this is a short term problem, isn't it? I mean, there's a sort of halfway out here isn't it where you could argue playing 4-4-2 you could play Delf left back there where you've got somebody wide sorry 4-3-3 or even 4-4-2 4-3-3 where's a back four you could play Delf then 3-4-3 Unkunku will probably sit fit that better wouldn't he because he does get further up and down the pitch which we know he can do you know mm. to his heart's content and then you've got that extra surety of a, a centre half that can cover them. If you yeah. got a position, so there's still options open to us. But I think what we're basically saying here that they're nowhere near as good as the thing of having a fit Luca Dean playing for us, isn't it? Mm, indeed, and uh, most clubs in Europe, if not every club in Europe, would uh, would miss Luca Dean, wouldn't they? So, um, okay, moving on, Preno. Um, Everson, of course, have been given the green light uh, along with Liverpool. Um, 
to welcome the return of 2,000 supporters um, this month after the country comes out of national lockdown. Um, well, 2,000 fans, are they going to make the difference? Are they going to make up the Carlo was, was bemoaning the lack of supporters in the ground? Is 2,000 going to make a difference when we play Chelsea? Not one iota. Um, no, I mean, what did they say? A, a journey of a thousand miles starts with a single step. And this is, okay, a journey of 40,000 people starts with 2,000 steps. It's to crucify that metaphor. But it does, you know, it's a step, a very, very tiny step in the right direction. And uh, 2,000 people are going to be very fortunate. Um, you certainly won't create an atmosphere. If anything, it's going to be an even more slightly uh, spooky atmosphere. Um, I'm old enough to remember when uh, the, the lowest ever Premier League attendance uh, witnessed an Everton match. I think it was 3,100 and something at uh, Wimbledon's old Plough Lane uh, back in the early 90s. And, you know, the images from that night are something else, you know. So it is like a very, very strange experience. It's going to be a little like that. You'll hear voices, but not particularly loud voices. And, you know, so quite, quite ghostly voices, if you like. So it's a step in the right direction. You know, you've got to begin somewhere. But it's, it's a long, long time or a long, long way before we're going to start to experience anything like an atmosphere, anything like something that's going to uh, influence what happens on the pitch and influence the players. Uh, it's just, it, it's a tiny little step in the right direction. I'm pleased to see it. Uh, I'm delighted for the people that are drawn out of the ballast and get the opportunity to visit Goodison Park again, albeit in strange circumstances. But no, I can't see it really affecting uh, what's happening on the pitch one little bit, to be honest. Adam, the uh, Brighton chief executive, Paul Barber, this week has been quoted as saying it, it will actually cost Brighton and therefore probably cost every other Premier League club money to put this on and, and get 2,000 fans in. But actually, is, as Preno alludes to, is, the, is it actually all about proving that, you know, in this situation and proving to the government and ticking the boxes that fans can return safely and then hopefully 2,000 becomes... 22,000 and then becomes the, f the full capacity in the hopefully not too distant future anyway. Yeah, I think that's the end game, isn't it? I think 2,000 just seems like a weird arbitrary number for me because, you know, especially when you consider Goodison Park, for example, it's a, the capacity is essentially 40,000. I think it's just under 40,000, mm. isn't it? So Everton are going to essentially have, what, 5% capacity for this game. Now, in my head, I'm no scientist, but in my head, they, they could surely fit in more fans than that and still have them socially distanced and have it safe and stuff. So it, in my head, like, obviously, they're going to have lots of stringent checks. They're going to have to jump through so many hoops to try and get these 2,000 fans back into the ground. And hopefully they do have uh, some sort of effect on the players on the pitch anyway. You know, the, the players on the pitch are finally going to see at least some faces staring back at them from the empty stands. So fingers crossed that'll have some sort of effect on them but yeah hopefully the main effect that we can take from this is that the Premier League clubs the plans that they've got in place are going to have the room for expansion and hopefully you know I think the government said they were going to be reviewing these plans every two weeks or so didn't they so hopefully yeah. hopefully when we get these reviews we'll start to see you know, the sports sports grounds hopefully will have their capacities up even further because even for like a stadium like Manchester United, I know Manchester's in tier three, but like, the, for example, Manchester United Stadium, they're going to have like, what, a 75,000 capacity stadium? Surely they can fit more than 2,000 fans in that safely. So fingers crossed that like, we can just see that these plans work over these first couple of matches and then common sense might prevail and we can get more fans in. And, you know, more fans doesn't mean that it's not as safe because these, these plans are going to be 
uh, checked and checked and checked again. So, you know, fingers crossed we, you know, over the next coming weeks and months, 2,000 can turn into, you know, 4,000, 8,000 and we can just progress from there. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, obviously the news is 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 great and and you know as, as Preno says the two thousand people that will come out of the ballot you know very fortunate and you know it's a step in the right direction a very very difficult year for everybody and and it's just it's just a sign that there, there is light at the end of the tunnel but I'm thinking about it this week I couldn't help but shake the feeling that for every club but particularly Everton and the and where Goodison is and, and where it's situated and the proximity to housing it just seems like a logistical nightmare I mean. You know, who, who do, do, do these fans have to have a test before they turn up? Who pays for the test? Do, you know, do they have to have time time slots to arrive to the ground? Where do they park? How do they get out? You know, because it's within a residential area. We can't forget Goodison is set within within houses. Yeah. What do you do at half time? How, how do you leave? Stuff like that. You know, yeah. uh, it might some of our supporters do go 10 minutes before the end most weeks. That's a completely different story, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, but that's just go back to what Penno says. That's part of the thing you're testing out, isn't it, Phil? Yeah. That, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not, it's, you're not being invited. It's like a, it's like an experiment, it's a social experiment, isn't it? As much as anything else, rather than sort of getting some income for clubs to get the sides, get a little bit of an atmosphere and grounds. Part of, it's part of that, you know, process of, of getting getting it right. I mean, that was the whole point of starting football again, wasn't it really, in June, July? It, it, it's like sort of, can you actually have football in, in a lockdown? And they show, to be fair, we show we can. So therefore, if we carry on that logically, the next step is we can show we can do this and learn from it, which we have done so far with putting games on already then. Uh, you know, the reason why the logistics should get in, get in the way, get in the way going forward. Because um, two thousand people is not a lot, not as lot as what you think. Is it mm. really when you think on forty thousand? I mean, you can have forty thousand on match day and still be around the ground and not be very busy. Can't you know? I don't know depends what time you get there, but you've got four sides of the ground. I mean, I'm assuming they're going to use four sides of the ground. By the way, I'm not sure of that. I don't know. Obviously, I think I think the club are obviously still trying to work through what they can and can't do. But I would be surprised if the main stand, where, which is where we sit, of of course, when we go and where the board members and and everybody else is situated. So I would I would imagine that they would probably try and and put the two thousand fans maybe Gladys Street, um, yeah. and, and that way. Yeah. So I, it's it's there's all sorts of things to to think about from a, just a general health and safety point of view. Full stop. So yeah. Yeah, it, it is going to be difficult and it is a bit more difficult for us, as you say, because of the enclosed nature of, of of the ground in terms of the the residencies nearby. So just another another problem you've got to overcome, isn't it, on the way to getting people back into grounds. But it'll be, be difficult, uh, I think, uh, mm. to be fair. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. Um, Preno, our understanding is, of course, Marcel Brand's contract three-year deal runs out in June. Uh, our understanding was that the club would probably sort of make a decision and look at it in January. But today, Carlo has seemingly given Marcel a ringing endorsement for a new contract, saying he does a fantastic job. And I think it's important for him that he continues and finds a new deal with the football club. But if Carlo wants him to stay, then surely it's a done deal, isn't it? I hope that's the case. Um, I think it's very, very important uh, for Everson Football Club 
that that continuity uh, continues. There seems to be um, a lot of stability at the, at the top end of the club now, which we've not had, you know, so for a long time. And um, it, it's quite reassuring, and you know, good decisions are being taken. And maybe it's but it's not coincidental that you know we've seen a couple of little stories, you know, leaked in some of the tabloid uh, media recently about uh, Marcel Brands attracting covetous glances, you know, so from elsewhere. Uh, around Europe, you know, he's a sought-after man. You know, so he's a director of football that people rate. Uh, so I think it's important that we uh, that we tie him down. There's absolutely no suggestion that you know he wants to go anywhere else. He seems completely settled and completely happy uh, in his time at Everton. But he just wants it actually rubber stamped, don't you? You know, with his uh, signature on a contract, so that it just reassures everybody and you can plan, you know, so for the foreseeable future. Uh, so yeah, I think it's important. I think um, you know you can't just exist. Uh, on a, a handshake, you know, sort of word of mouth these days, you do actually need these things putting down and formalising. And I hope that would be done very, very soon. Clearly, like you say, if Carlo wants him, you know, so, you know, it, it's important that we get it done sooner rather than later. Adam, uh, would you be in favour of Marcel getting a new contract, you know, another three years, say, or, or, or maybe even longer? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think he's a, he seems to be a very long-term project sort of man, doesn't he? And, you know, the three years that he's had is just seems to me like, the start of the long-term project, especially after getting over the roadblock of you know having to sack Marco Silva and bringing in Ancelotti nearly a year ago. Now it's it felt like almost like a restart of the project at that point, or mm. not, not a, a full restart, or you know just a just a bit of a reset on on things. So I think it'd be a shame if that was to come to an end at the end of this year, because I think there's still there's still a lot of room for this squad to grow. You know, there's got we've got a good number of really Really solid young players at the club who, you know, Angelotti has helped to develop and uh, Brand has helped to bring in and develop as well. So, it it I've got it's no surprise to me that Manchester United are getting linked with him, you know, because with them wanting to bring in a director of football, it just it seems like the obvious choice to just look over the East Langs, doesn't it, <laughs> to to uh, where one is doing really well at the minute. But yeah, as Preno says, I don't think there's any sort of suggestion that he would be looking the other way towards Manchester United, I think. As I say, he's a very, he seems to be a very long-term man from his time of PSV, certainly. So it, it does it does seem like there's, some, there's just something around the corner at the minute with uh, Brands and Ancelotti. So fingers crossed we can, we can continue to work together in the future. Gav, Marcel, is he doing a good job? Um, yeah, I think he, he has to understand that his role is not just um, buying players. Maybe seven two thousand. When did he join? Eighteen was it? Yes. Um, mm. There's a whole host of don't, don't use the phrase deadwood, but we will do. Um, there's a whole <laughs> host of thing issues within the club in terms of players needed moving on, contracts to be sorted, weaknesses to be addressed, all that type of stuff, which is not just associated with. The first team it's associated throughout the club, isn't it? Players on the periphery. So, you know, if you see you see the 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 role he's done within that context, then you have to say, you know, we're in a far better place now. I think everybody would say that. I mean, always pray of such and such a sign is not worth and stuff. But that's always the case. So, in terms of the stability of the 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 brands Ancelotti axis, I think it's pretty much essential, isn't it? Really, you'd have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, Always remember that Brands is on the board as well, so it was effectively ruling on Carlos. 
<laughs> you know, you know, oh, you old cynic! Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, we'd have to remember Carlo. It, it always, always nice to tell you that you're there. Somebody who effectively could be considered as your boss was doing a good job, and you're like working with them, you know. But, uh, uh, but obviously, where that works out in practice is completely different. But it's, it's um, it, yeah, yeah. Going back to your point, what, what would we do then? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then they bring another director of football in who's got different ideas and stuff. And uh, yeah, where's Steve Ross these days? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not yet. So, I think that's the important <laughs> thing. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty much an essential bit of business, isn't it? Mm. You know, with uh, with, with Marshall, um, because he inherited a big job, didn't he? That was a massive job to, uh, to undertake. Um, so yeah, I uh, fully agree with everybody. Mm. Get them signed, signed up as soon as uh, as soon as possible. And Preno, of course, it will be um, sort of what is it now? Would it be four, four full years? Wouldn't it almost, or even a bit longer, of the club employing this director of football model? Yeah. Again, are you in favour of the model? Not you know taking the the, the personnel away necessarily, but the idea that that's that's the way we have to move forward for the football club. I think I think so. Yeah, provided that you get the right person in that role. Uh, because you know, football clubs by their nature can be very turbulent. Everson were um, in a very fortunate position to have, um, not everybody will say they're in a fortunate position, but they were uh, to have a manager in situ for such a long period during the David Moyes era. And uh, the consistent league finishes you know, indicated you know, why that was good for the health of the football club. And uh, when he left, we then entered into this absolute turbulent period uh, of change, which wasn't good for the football club at all. Uh, so you need if you like, uh, a strong and stable structure at the top of the football club uh, to navigate through that and to try and oversee it. We have that in place at the moment. You know, so Marcel is one of the leading lights in that. And uh, yeah, I think it's important. Uh, it's all about getting the right person in that role. And the fact that, you know, you, Marcel isn't spoken about very often suggests that, you know, so he is the right person. Uh, when people are making bad decisions, they get talked about an awful lot more. Uh, whereas if you're just, you know, overseeing serene progress, you know, you're restructuring the football club, you know, so people tend to ignore you a little bit, which is maybe why he's not talked about as often as he should be. Uh, but he is a very, very impressive individual. And uh, I think he's the right man for that role. And I like the role. I think it does work, you know, so in modern football, provided you get the right man in that place. Mm. Okay, so Marcel Brand's giving a, getting a ringing endorsement from Carlo Ancelotti uh, this afternoon. Okay, moving on to the final part of today's pod. It is, of course... Tomorrow evening, 5.30, Goodison Leeds are the visitors. Ad. I think, for me, th- there's been a, um, a narrative built about Leeds' return to the Premier League that they are this team to fear, and I'm sure that's with good reason. But then I looked at the league table, they're 14th, won three, drawn two, lost four. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's a strange one, isn't it? Like, I was asked this, like, one of our Leeds sister sites was asking me a question about what my perception of Leeds has been so far this season, and... You're quite right. I had this in idea in my head that these are these are really you know play some really good football. They're really energetic. Carlo Ancelotti called them dynamic. I think in his press conference, didn't he? Which you would certainly expect from Marcelo Bielsa. But yeah, when you look at the results, the the results just haven't been following. And I don't know. It just seems to me whenever I've watched Leeds, I've I've enjoyed myself, and I think they're a really exciting team to watch. And I think going forward, especially. I mean, you, you look at that game against Liverpool, I think it was end-to-end, end-to-end stuff against Liverpool, wasn't it? And, you know, it was really 
it, it was really intimidating almost to see a, a, a newly promoted side dismantling Liverpool like that going forward in the way that they did. Uh, they had a similar game against Arsenal last week. I, I really no idea how that game finished nil nil to be honest, because I think Leeds really deserved to get a win out of that game and you know, Arsenal. They, they might not be in the best form this season, but there's still no slouches. So I think it's really impressive that they're putting in performances like that. But the results aren't following, which is which I'm finding quite interesting because I, I would argue that Everton, especially towards the back end of that good run of form that we had, I'm not sure the performances were on, on a par with the results that we were we were getting. I think you know maybe we were performing a little bit below par, but we were still getting the results, and I think that's obviously the position that you'd rather be in, isn't it? You you just want to get three points on the board regardless. It's like, it's like look at look at last week against Fulham. You know that second half was absolutely rubbish. I think we can we conceded far too many chances. Uh, made it a lot more nervy for ourselves than it should have been. But we came away with the three points at the end of the day. Whereas you've seen a lot of pundits going, oh, didn't need to play really well against Arsenal. Still only came away with a point, didn't he? Yeah. And, that, and I think that's that's the difference between, you know, Carlo Ancelotti, he's got a, a squad of players who've been in the Premier League for so long behind them, whereas Leeds have only just found their way into the league. So I think that's maybe where Everton could, make, could try and exploit Leeds a little bit, just have the experience on them knowing that they can grind out the results even if even if we don't outplay leads we can certainly get a result against them and we can certainly get a win over them especially at Goodison Park as well you know even without fans there teams have not enjoyed coming to Goodison recently so leads are a bit of an interesting one but I don't think that this all-conquering side by any stretch of the imagination I think the results this season probably prove that Gav, um, it's the fourth leakiest defence playing host to the third leakiest defence. Um, <laughs> th- this isn't going to be nil-nil, is it? I'm looking forward to our predictions later. It's going to be yeah, a few yeah, seven yeah, sixes yeah, in yeah. there. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I was thinking that Leeds, Leeds conceded the four in three three games mm. or something like that. You conceded the four at Palace, didn't it? With, didn't mm. he? Which is, uh, all due respect, to some going. Uh, I think, um, yeah... They'll press and there's lots of opportunities to break there, isn't it? And um, yeah, I, I can't see it being nil nil, but I think the Leeds Arsenal game was there was goalless. Um, yeah, just I'll want to give give away my predictions, yeah, you know, just in case I don't want to give any clues. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, to be fair, I haven't got one night for about three months, so <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, it, it all points to goals, doesn't it? Which I think will probably favour favour us. Uh, to be fair, the card attack on firepower, um, and uh, yeah, it will be. I'd be very surprised if there'll be a goal this draw. Um, and we are protecting this Premier League unbeaten on a Goodison against Leeds as well, aren't we? So, uh, no, but it's the unlucky 13th meeting at Goodison tomorrow. Oh, yeah, yeah, just sort of make it miserable, you know, carry on, carry on the narrative. How, um, do you, how do you even know that? that that's just. <laughs> だったんですよ。で、ま、ナウでレイティスラストウェイネットコンディションプランのリーグをビューレメンバーはウェルスバンナフでシェッタアップ。ビューレメンバーはシェッタアップ。いや、いや、いや。そう、ワンジャマ、
and you're thinking, wow, we've got this like you know, it's a really exciting team come up from the uh, from the championship. And since then, they've struggled to score goals. Um, you know, they've got the one exception being that three 0 win at Villa. You know, it's like where did that come from? Uh, and they're capable of doing that, just throwing like these mad results in from nowhere. But then equally, as Gab just said, got battered by Palace for one, got mm. battered by Leicester for one. You know, so you can get at them. They rely so heavily uh, on intensity uh, and work rate. And that can only take you so far. And especially in a month that's coming up, like with the fixtures coming thick and fast. You know, so maybe, you know, if we could have played them in a couple of weeks' time, it might have been even better time to face them. Uh, but no, they're capable of causing occasional problems for teams. I mean, I watched the match where they played Manchester City and uh, that was a great game. Uh, and they thoroughly deserved the point that they got in the end that day. Uh, but again, let down by the fact that they couldn't score enough goals. So, yeah, it's going to be lively at both ends. We need to defend better. You know, if we can defend better, you know, it, it should be a relatively comfortable afternoon, um, even despite, you know, the, the high-profile absences that we've already talked about. But if we don't defend well, uh, we're going to cause problems for ourselves. And what is it now? Six games in a row now where we've conceded two goals. It's just, we've got to do better than that. And, you know, so if we can actually get the defensive side of things right, it could be, you know, a fairly straightforward afternoon. But I say could be hesitantly uh, because, you know, we haven't looked like doing it anytime soon. And are we going to start doing it at the weekend with two of our prime, you know, sort of, you know, defenders missing? I don't know. Uh, but it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be worth watching. And uh, I'm sure the, uh, the lockdown nation will have something to entertain themselves on, uh, on telly on Saturday tea time. OK, predictions time. Uh, Pran, I'll stay with you. So your prediction then uh, after that uh, big build-up, uh, Everton versus Leeds, 5.30 tomorrow night at Goodwood. Yeah, I mean, uh, initially... Uh, I do these predictions, you know, so uh, for, for, the, for the pools people. And uh, I think I predicted a 3-2 win. So I just can't see us keeping the clean sheet again. I can see it in more goals. Uh, so I went 3-2, but I've had a bit more time to sleep on it now. And obviously, we're closer to the game. I'm more emboldened now. Uh, <laughs> I'm out of drink, yes. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for 4-2. Ever since I score four goals, concede yeah. another two. Uh, but rich entertainment as ever. Everton, the great entertainers. And this is what leads to. That makes me feel a bit better about my prediction because I'm going 5 2. 5 2. I just think it's going to be end to end. It's going to be absolutely mad. I'm back in James Rodriguez now that he's had a bit of a week off after the international break following that full on game. He's going to be back to full fitness. Richarlison back to full fitness. Calvert Lewin's obviously going to score at some point as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I, just, I just feel like it's going to be an absolutely nuts game tomorrow so wow. if, you, if you're putting a bet on I'd definitely put a bet on nil-nil now that I've said that but <laughs> I think it's going to be 5-2 wow seven goal thriller Gav what do you think hey, I could say goalish but I just can't for the life of me I just, I just can't for the life of me with, with our weakened defence and there's you know, seeing anything but goals, but I, I, I've got to play cute here, haven't I, really? Because we are in the competition. See, see that, that's the problem now, you see. The, the very nature of the competition is like moderated, you know, I've got, you know, people's opinions. So I, uh, I'll go I'll go goals, but not as many as Pedro and Ad. I'll go 3 1, Everton. 3 1. Yeah, I agree with you, Gav. I think 3 1 as well. So it's just, uh, I mean, we could, we, you know, we'll wrap up there, but I mean, we could talk a whole pod about defensive issues because was it no clean sheath in the league since the opening day? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, which, you know, I think, you know, is, is remarkable really because I think we thought that when Carlo came in, he'd, he'd sort of steadied the ship, hadn't he? And made us a bit 
harder to play against. But you know, despite the uh, the acquisitions in the summer and, and seemingly strengthening that spine of the team, people uh, teams can still get at us, can't they? So. Fingers crossed Leeds don't get us, though, when we get a clean sheet and a comfortable victory. So we will wrap it up there, chaps. Thanks very much for your company, as always. Good stuff. And thank you very much for listening. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.